Episode 46 of K-Ray Reads to You. This is Chapter 4 of uh, Half Magic by Edward Eager. Chapter 4. What Happened to Catherine? Next morning there were no secret meetings before breakfast. Jane stayed in her room, and Mark stayed in his room, and in the room they shared Catherine and Martha hardly conversed at all. Each of the children was too busy making private plans, and deciding on favorite wishes. Breakfast was eaten in silence, but not without the exchange of some excited looks. The children's mother was aware that something was in the air, and wondered what new trial lay in store for her. When their mother had gone to work, and the dishes and other loathly tasks were done, the four children gathered in Catherine and Martha's room. Catherine had already checked to see that the charm still lay in its cubbyhole, unharmed by the wish of mouse or termite. Jane had drawn up some rules. "'The wishes are to go by turns,' she said. "'Nobody's to make any main wish that doesn't include all the rest of us. If there have to be any smaller wishes later on in the same adventure, the person who wished the main wish gets to make them, except in case of emergency. Like if he loses the charm, and one of the other ones finds it. I get to go first. Catherine had something to say about that. "'I don't see why,' she said. "'You always get dibs on first, cause you're the oldest, "'and grown-ups always pick Martha, cause she's the baby, "'and Mark has a wonderful double life with all this, "'and being a boy, too. "'Middle ones never get any privileges at all. "'Besides, who hasn't had a wish of her own yet? "'Think back.' "'It was true. "'Jane had had the half-fire,' and Martha had made Carrie half-talk, and Mark had taken them to half of a desert island. Jane had to agree that Catherine deserved a chance, but she couldn't keep from giving advice. "'We don't want any old visits with Henry Wadsworth Longfellow,' she said. "'Make it something that's fun for everybody.' "'I'm going to,' said Catherine, "'but I can't decide between wishing we could all fly like birds "'and wishing we had all the money in the world.' "'Those aren't any good,' said Jane. "'People always wish those in stories, and it never works out at all. <clears throat> "'They either fly too near the sun and get burned, "'or end up crushed under all the money.' "'We could make it paper money,' suggested Catherine. "'A discussion followed as to how many millions of dollars "'in large bills it would take to crush a person to death.' By the time the four children got back to the subject of the magic charm, seventeen valuable minutes had been wasted. But now Mark had an idea. "'We found out the charm can take us through space,' he said. "'What about time?' "'You mean travel around in the past?' Jane's eyes were glowing. "'See Captain Kidd and Nero?' "'I've always wanted to live back in the old and romantic days,' said Catherine, getting excited, too. "'In days of old, when knights were bold.' The others were joining in by now. For once the four children were all in complete agreement. "'Put in about tournaments,' said Mark. "'And quests,' said Jane. "'Put in a good deed, too,' said Martha, "'just to be on the safe side.' "'Don't forget to say two times everything,' said all three. They clustered eagerly around Catherine as she took hold of the charm. "'I wish,' said Catherine, "'that we may go back twice as far as to the days of King Arthur, "'and see two tournaments, and go on two quests, and do two good deeds.' 
The next thing the four children knew, they were standing in the midst of a crowded highway. Four queens were just passing, riding under a silken canopy. The next moment, seven merry milkmaids skipped past, going a maying. In the distance, a gallant knight was chasing a grimly giant with a puissant valor, and in the other direction, a grimly giant was chasing a gallant knight for all he was worth. Some pilgrims stopped and asked the four children the way to Canterbury. The four children didn't know. But by now they were tired of the crowded traffic conditions on the king's highway, and crossed into a field where the grass seemed greener and fresher than any they had ever seen in their own time. A tall figure lay on the ground nearby, under an apple tree. It was a knight in full armor, and he was sound asleep. The children knew he was asleep because Martha lifted the visor of his helmet and peeked inside. A gentle snore issued forth. The knight's sword lay on the ground beside him, and Mark reached to pick it up. Immediately the sleeping knight awoke and sat up. "'Who steals my purse steals trash,' he said, "'but who steals my sword steals honour itself, "'and him will I harry by wood and by water "'till I cleave him from his brain-pan to his thigh-bone.' "'I beg your pardon, sir,' said Mark. "'We didn't mean anything,' said Jane. "'We're sorry,' said Catherine.' The knight rubbed his eyes with his mailed fist. Instead of the miscreant thief he had expected to see, he saw Mark and Jane and Catherine and Martha. "'Who be you?' he said. "'Hath some grimly foe murdered me in my sleep? Am I in heaven? Be ye cherubim or seraphim?' "'We be neither,' said Catherine. "'And this isn't heaven. We are four children.' "'Pish,' said the knight. "'Ye be like no children these eyes have ever beheld. Your garb is outlandish.' "'People who live in tin armour shouldn't make remarks,' said Catherine. "'At this moment there was an interruption. "'A lady came riding up on a milk-white palfrey. "'She seemed considerably excited. "'Hist, gallant knight!' she cried. "'The knight rose to his feet and bowed politely. "'The lady began batting her eyes "'and looking at him in a way that made the children feel ashamed for her. "'Thank heaven I found you,' she went on. "'You alone of all the world can help me, if your name be Sir Launcelot, as I am let to know it is.' The children stared at the knight, open-mouthed with awe. "'Are you really Sir Launcelot?' Mark asked him. "'That is my name,' said the knight. The four children stared at him harder. Now that he wasn't looking so sleepy, they could see that it was true. No other in all the world could wear so manly a bearing, so noble a face. They were in the presence of Sir Launcelot du Lake, the greatest knight in all the age of chivalry. "'How is Elaine?' Catherine wanted to know right away. "'And little Galahad?' "'I know not the folk you mention,' said Sir Launcelot. "'Oh, yes, you do, sooner or later,' said Catherine. "'You probably just haven't come to them yet.' "'Be ye a prophetess?' cried Sir Launcelot, becoming interested. "'Can ye read the future? Tell me more.' But the lady on the milk-white palfrey was growing impatient. "'Away, poppets!' she said, getting between the four children and Sir Launcelot. "'Gallant knight, I crave your assistance. In a dolorous tower nearby a dread ogre is distressing some gentlewomen. I am preceptress of the distressed gentlewoman society. We need your help.' "'Naturally,' said Sir Launcelot. He whistled, and his trusty horse appeared from behind the apple-tree, where it had been cropping apples. 
Sir Launcelot started to mount the horse. The four children looked at each other. They did not like what they had seen of the lady at all, and they liked the way she had spoken to them even less. Catherine stepped forward. I wouldn't go if I were you, she said. It's probably a trap. The lady gave her an evil look. Even so, said Sir Launcelot, needs must when duty calls. He adjusted his reins. Catherine drew herself up to her full four feet four. As you noticed before, I be a mighty prophetess, she cried, and I say unto you, go not where this lady bids, she will bring you nothing but disaster. I shall go where I please, said Sir Launcelot. So there, said the lady. You'll be sorry, said Catherine. Enough of parley, said Sir Launcelot. Never yet did Launcelot turn from a worthy quest. I know who ye be now. Ye be four false wizards come to me in the guise of children to tempt me from my course. Tis vain, out of the way. Flee, Charles, avaunt and quit my sight. Thy bones are marrowless. Giddy up. Sir Launcelot chirruped to his horse, and the lady chirruped to hers, and away they went, galloping down the king's highway. The four children had to scatter to both sides to avoid the flying hooves. Of course it was but the work of a moment, and a simple problem in fractions, for Catherine to wish they all had horses, and could follow. Immediately they had, and they did. Sir Launcelot turned, and saw the four children close at his heels, mounted now on four dashing chargers. "'Away, fiends!' he said. "'Shan't!' said Catherine. They went on. The four children had never ridden horseback before, but they found that it came to them quite easily, though Martha's horse was a bit big for her, and she had trouble posting. And it was particularly interesting when, every time the lady started casting loving looks at Sir Launcelot, the children would ride up close behind and make jeering noises, and Sir Launcelot would turn in his saddle and shout, "'Begone, demons!' at them. This happened every few minutes. Sir Launcelot seemed to get a little bit angrier each time. <laughs> when they had ridden a goodly pace, they came to a dark wood, stretching along both sides of the highway. Just at the edge of the wood, the lady cried out that her horse had cast a shoe. Sir Launcelot reined in to go to her aid. The four children stopped at a safe distance. Then, just as Sir Launcelot was dismounting, three knights rode out of the wood. One was dressed all in red, one in green, and one in black. Before the children could cry out, the knights rushed at Sir Launcelot from behind. It was three against one, and most unfair, but even so, Sir Launcelot's strength would have been as the strength of at least nine, if he hadn't been taken by surprise. As it was, he had no time even to touch his hand to his sword, before the three knights had seized and disarmed him, bound him hand and foot, flung him across the saddle of his own horse, and galloped off into the wood with him, a hapless prisoner. The lady turned on the four children. "'Ha-ha!' she cried. "'Now they will take him to my castle, where he will lie in a deep dungeon and be beaten every day with thorns. And so we shall serve all the knights of the round table who happen this way. Death to King Arthur!' "'Why, you false thing, you!' said Jane." "'I told him so,' said Catherine. "'Let's go home,' said Martha. "'No, we have to rescue him,' said Mark. "'Ho, ho,' said the lady. "'Just you try it. "'Your magic is a mere nothing compared with mine, Elfspawn. "'Know that I am the great enchantress, Morgan Le Fay.' 
"'You would be,' said Catherine, "'who didn't like being called Elfspawn, as who would? "'I remember you in the books, always making trouble. "'I wish you'd go jump in the lake.' "'Catherine wasn't thinking of the charm when she wished this, "'or she might have worded it differently, "'but that didn't stop the charm.' "'Good old charm,' said Mark, as he watched what happened. "'Morgan Le Fay didn't go jump in the lake. "'She merely fell in a pool. <clears throat> <clears throat> "'Luckily there was a pool handy. "'She slid backwards off her horse and landed in it in a sitting position. "'And luckier still, the pool had a muddy bottom, "'and Morgan Le Fay stuck there long enough "'for Catherine to make another calmer wish, "'which was that she would stay stuck,' and unable to use any of her magic, for twice as long as would be necessary. <laughs> this done, the four children turned their horses into the wood, and set about following the wicked knights. Morgan Le Fay hurled a few curses after them from among the water-weeds, but these soon died away in the distance. There was no path to follow through the wood. The branches of trees hung low and thick, and the earth beneath them was damp and dark and dank, and no birds sang. This, said Catherine, is what I would call a tulgy wood. Don't, cried Martha, suppose something came whiffling through it. The four children pressed on. Suddenly they came to a clearing, and there, amidst a tangle of lambkill and henbane and deadly nightshade, they saw the witch's castle rising just ahead of them. Poison ivy mantled its walls. There were snakes in the moat and bats in the belfry. The four children did not like the look of it at all. "'What do we do now?' said Jane. "'Wish him free, of course,' said Mark. "'Just stand out here and wish? That's too easy,' said Catherine. "'I'm not going inside that castle,' said Martha. "'Nay,' said Catherine, who did not seem to be so docile to-day as she used to be. "'Ye forget that I be a mighty prophetess. Trust ye unto my clever strategy.' "'Bushwa,' said Mark. "'Less talk and more action.' Catherine put her hand on the charm. "'I wish that two doors of this castle may stand open for us,' she said. So then the children had to look for the one door that did. They found it at last, a little back door with a small drawbridge of its own, over the moat. The drawbridge was down, and the door was ajar. The children went over the drawbridge.' "'Beware!' croaked the magic-talking frogs in the moat. "'They went in through the doorway. "'A long, dark passage lay beyond. "'Beware!' squeaked the magic-talking mice in the walls. "'The children went along the passage. "'It wound and twisted a good deal. "'The magic cobwebs hanging from the ceiling "'brushed at their faces and caught at their clothing, "'trying to hold them back, but they broke away and pushed on.' At last the passage ended at a heavy doorway. From beyond it came the sound of loud voices raised in something that was probably intended to be music. The children eased the door open a crack and peeked through, into a large hall. The Red Knight and the Green Knight and the Black Knight were enjoying a hearty meal and washing down each mouthful with a draught of nut-brown ale. They were singing at the table, which was rude of them, and the words of their song were ruder still. "'Speak roughly to our Lancelot, and beat him with a briar, "'and kick him in the pants a lot, of this we never tire. "'We've put him in a dungeon s <clears throat> "'We've put him in a dungeon cell, and there we'll beat him very well. "'Clink, canakin, clink!' 
The four children looked at each other indignantly. Then they peeked through again. Some varlets had appeared in the hall. They cleared away the dishes, left the dessert platter on the table, and departed. The dessert was a number of round plum puddings, all aflame with blazing, blazing blue brandy. The black knight stood up to serve them. At that moment Catherine remembered a story she had once read. She decided to have some fun with the three knights. "'I wish two of those puddings were stuck to the end of your nose,' she cried, putting her hand on the charm and staring straight at the black knight through the crack of the doorway. And immediately one of them was. But this pudding, unlike the one in the story, was still burning blue with brandy fire, so that not only was it humiliating to the black knight, but it hurt a good deal as well. And furthermore, his long black whiskers, of which he was inordinately proud, began to singe badly. He gave a wild howl, and his face turned nearly as black as his garments with rage. "'Odd's blood, who hath played this scurvy trick upon me?' he cried, beating at his nose and whiskers with his hands, and then yelling with pain as the flames scorched his fingers. "'Tee-hee-hee!' tittered the green knight. "'You look very funny!' Black knight whirled on him. "'Be it you, then, who hath played this scurvy trick?' he cried. "'No, it be not I,' said the green knight. "'But you look very funny just the same.' "'Oh, I do, do I?' shouted the black knight in a passion. And then he whipped his sword out of its scabbard and swapped off the green knight's head. The red knight jumped to his feet. "'I say, Albemarle, that was going a bit too far,' he cried. "'Oh, I don't know,' said the black knight. "'He was exceedingly provoking. "'Come and help me get this great pudding thing off my nose.' "'Well,' said the red knight, looking at him rather dubiously, I don't know if I can, but I'll try. And he whipped his sword out of its scabbard and swapped off the pudding from the black knight's nose. Unfortunately for him, he swapped off a good bit of the nose, too. The black knight gave a wild bellow and hurled himself at the red knight, sword in hand. The red knight parried his thrust. A moment later they were joined in deadly combat, leaping about the hall, smashing furniture and hacking off parts of each other with the greatest abandon. Behind the door the four children shut their eyes, held their ears, and cowered in trembling in each other's arms. The combat did not last long. Two sword-blades flashed in the air, and a second later two heads fell on the floor, followed more slowly by two bodies. There was a silence. Catherine hadn't meant her wish to end in such a gory and final way, but she reminded herself to be bloody, bold, and resolute, and crept through the door into the hall, followed by the three others. All four averted their eyes from what they would have seen if they had looked at the floor. "'I do think you might have managed it neater,' said Jane. "'How can we get through the dungeon with all these different pieces of night lying around underfoot?' "'The point is that I managed it at all,' said Catherine." "'more cheerfully than she felt. "'And we don't have to walk. "'We can wish ourselves there.' "'She put her hand on the charm "'and wished that, she, that they were twice as far as the dungeon door "'and that she had two keys to the dungeon in her hand. "'After that, of course, it was but a matter of turning the key, "'and out walked Sir Launcelot, "'followed by several dozen other knights "'who had also been prisoners of the Enchantress and her friends, "'and who looked somewhat the worse for their daily beatings.' 
The other captive knights fell on their knees, kissing the children's hands and hailing them as their deliverers. Sir Launcelot also thanked the children quite politely, but somehow he didn't seem so happy to be free as the children had expected he would. A moment later, when the other captive knights had left to resume their interrupted quests, the children found out why. "'You saved me by magical means?' Sir Launcelot asked. "'That's right,' said Catherine proudly. "'I did it with my little charm.' "'That mislikes me much,' said Sir Launcelot. "'I would it were otherwise.' "'Well, really,' said Catherine, "'I suppose you'd rather have stayed in there being beaten?' "'Sooner that,' said Sir Launcelot, "'than bring shame to my honour "'by taking unfair magical advantage of a foe, "'however deadly.' "'Well, if you're all that particular,' said Catherine, annoyed, "'I can easily put them back together again.' And she led him into the great hall, and showed him the different pieces of the three knights. "'Please do so,' said Sir Launcelot. "'Shall I lock you up in the dungeon again?' asked Catherine sarcastically. "'Doesn't it hurt your conscience that I set you free?' "'That much advantage,' said Sir Launcelot, "'I think I can take.' "'Some fair jailer's daughter would probably have let me out sooner or later anyway.' "'Oh, is that so?' said Catherine. "'I'm sorry I troubled, I'm sure. Is there anything else?' "'Well, yes,' said Sir Launcelot. "'You might just fetch me my sword and armour, which these cowardly knaves have taken from me.' Thoroughly cross with him by now, Catherine wished the sword and armour back on him. Then, working out the fractions carefully, she spoke the wish that was to bring the Red Knight, the Green Knight, and the Black Knight back to life. It was very interesting, watching the different pieces of the different coloured knights reassembling themselves on the hall floor, and the four children were sorry when it was over. But by then something even more interesting was going on, because by then Sir Launcelot was fighting the three knights single-handed, and that was a sight worth coming back many centuries to see. Sir Launcelot did not seem to appreciate the four children's interest, however. "'Go away. Thank you very much. Good-bye,' he called, pinning the green knight against the wall with a table, and holding the red and black ones at bay with his sword. "'Can't we help?' Mark wanted to know. "'No, go away,' said Sir Launcelot, cracking the red knight on the pate, thwacking the black knight in the chest with his backhand swing, and leaping over the table to take a whack at the green one." "'Can't we even watch?' Jane wailed. "'No, it makes me nervous. I want to be alone,' said Sir Launcelot, ducking under the table to send the red knight sprawling, then turning to face the black and green ones again. Catherine sighed and made a wish. Next moment the four children were on their horses once more, riding along the king's highway. "'We might at least have waited in the yard,' complained Martha. "'Now we'll never know how it ended.' "'He'll come out on top. Trust him,' said Catherine. "'I do get tired of people who are always right all the time. "'Anyway, we'll be seeing him again, I imagine, at the tournament.' "'Gee, yes, the tournament. I was forgetting,' said Mark. "'When do you suppose it'll be?' "'Not for weeks, maybe, by the time here,' said Catherine. "'But for us, a mere wish on the charm.' "'And she merely wished.' "'I can't get used to this being rushed around,' complained Martha a second later, as she found herself somewhere else for the third time in three minutes. "'Where are we now, and when is it?' 
"'Camelot, I should think,' said Catherine. "'In tournament time. Look!' Jane and Mark and Martha looked. Camelot and the field of tournament looked exactly as you all would expect them to look from the descriptions in The Boy's King Arthur and the wonderful books of Mr. T. H. White. Trumpets were blowing clarion calls, and pennons fluttered on the blue air, and armor flashed in the bright light, and gallant knights and trusty squires and gallant knights and trusty squires and faithful pages and ladies fair and lowly varlets came crowding into the stands in hundreds to watch the chivalrous sport. The four children had front-row grandstand seats, for Catherine had made that a part of her wish. She had forgotten to say anything in her wish about getting rid of the four horses, and at first these made some trouble by wanting to sit in the grandstand too, much to the annoyance of the people sitting behind. But Catherine wished them twice as far away, and they disappeared. At this the people behind got up and left in a hurry, looking back at the four children, and muttering about witchcraft and sorcery. The children paid small heed. They were too busy looking around them and drinking in the sights. King Arthur sat enthroned on a high platform at one end of the field. The children could see him clearly, with his kind, simple, understanding face, like the warm sun come to shine on merry England. Queen Guinevere was seated at his right, and Merlin the magician, thin and wise and grey-bearded, at his left. And now the trumpets blew an extra-long fanfare, and the tournament began. Sir Launcelot was among the first to ride out on the field. The children recognized him by his armor. "'I told you he'd come out all right,' said Catherine, a bit bitterly. But when Sir Launcelot got going in that tournament, even Catherine had to admire him. He smote down five knights with his first spear, and four knights with his second spear, and unhorsed three more with his sword, until all the people, sitting round on the benches, began crying out, "'Oh, gramercy, what marvellous deeds that knight doth do in that there field!' Jane sighed with a satisfied sigh. "'Kind of glorious, isn't it?' she murmured. "'It's the most wonderful age in human history,' said Mark solemnly. "'If only it didn't have to end.' "'Why did it?' asked Martha, who hadn't read The Boy's King Arthur yet. "'Partly cause some of the other knights got tired of being knocked down all the time "'and having Launcelot always win,' Mark told her. "'Yes,' said Catherine in rather a peculiar voice. It would really be a good deed, in a way, if somebody knocked him down for a change, wouldn't it? Mark gave her a sharp look, but just then Sir Launcelot started knocking down more knights, and he had to watch the field. When he looked again, Catherine wasn't there. Mark nudged Jane hard, as a horrible thought came into his mind. Jane turned and saw the empty spot where Catherine had been, and Mark could tell that she was having the same thought, too. Just then there was an interruption in the tournament. A strange knight rode out on the field of combat, and straight up to, the, to King Arthur's platform. "'I crave your Majesty's permission to challenge Sir Launcelot to single combat,' cried the strange knight, in a voice loud enough for the children to hear clearly from where they sat. The hearts of Jane and Mark sank. Even Martha now guessed the horrid truth. "'How dare she!' she whispered. 
"'I don't know,' said Mark. "'She's been getting too full of herself ever since we started this wish.' "'Wait till I get her home,' said Jane grimly. "'How call they you, strange sir?' King Arthur was saying, meanwhile. "'And whence do you hail?' "'They call me Sir Cath,' said the strange knight. "'And I hail from Toledo, Ohio.' "'I know not—I <clears throat> know not this Toledo,' said King Arthur. "'But fight if you will. Let the combat begin.' "'The trumpets sounded another clarion call. "'The strange knight faced Sir Launcelot, "'and there began the strangest combat, it is safe to say, "'ever witnessed by the knights of the round or any other table.' The intrepid Catherine thought herself very clever at this moment. She had wished she were wearing two suits of armour, and riding two horses, and she had wished she were two and a half times as tall and strong as Sir Launcelot, and she had wished that she would defeat him twice. And immediately here she was, wearing one suit of armour, and riding one horse, and she was one and a quarter times as tall and strong, and she couldn't wait to defeat him at once." but in her cleverness she had forgotten one thing. She had forgotten to wish that she knew the rules of jousting, and here she was, facing the greatest knight in the world, and she didn't know how to start. She knew she'd win in the end, because she'd wished it that way, but what was she to do in the beginning and middle? Before she could work out another wish to take care of this, Sir Launcelot rode at her, struck her with his lance, and knocked her back onto her horse's tail. Then he rode at her from the opposite direction, and knocked her forward onto her horse's neck. The crowd roared with laughter. The feelings of Jane, Mark, and Martha may well be imagined. As for the feelings of Catherine, they knew no bounds. She still held the magic charm clutched in one hot hand, and she wasn't bothering about correct arithmetic now. "'I wish I could fight ten times as well as you, you bully! Yah!' were the words that the valiant Sir Cath spoke upon the field. It was a cry of pure temper. And immediately she could fight five times as well as Sir Launcelot, and everyone knows how good he was. What followed would have to be seen to be believed.' Catherine came down like several wolves on the fold. She seemed to spring from all sides at once. Her sword flashed like a living thunderbolt. Her lance whipped about, now here, now there, like a snake gone mad. Zounds! cried the people, and lackaday, and wurra wurra. Jane, Mark, and Martha watched with clasped hands. If Sir Launcelot had not been the greatest knight in the world, he would never have lived to tell the tale. Even as it was, the end was swift. In something less than a trice he was unseated from his horse, fell to the ground with a crash, and did not rise again. Catherine galloped round and round the field, bowing graciously to the applause of the crowd. But she soon noticed that the crowd wasn't applauding very loudly— and it was only the traitorous knights, like Sir Mordred and Sir Agravaine, the ones who were jealous of Launcelot, who were applauding at all. The rest of the crowd was strangely silent, for Launcelot, the flower of knighthood, the darling of the people's hearts, the greatest champion of the round table, had been defeated. Queen Guinevere looked furious, King Arthur looked sad, the attendant knights, except for the traitorous ones, looked absolutely wretched. Merlin looked as if he didn't believe it. 
Jane and Mark and Martha looked as though they believed it, but didn't want to. And it was then that the full knowledge of what she had done swept over Catherine. She had succeeded, and she had failed. She, a mere girl, had defeated the greatest knight in history, but she had pretended to herself that she was doing it for a good deed, and really it had been just because she was annoyed with Launcelot for not appreciating her help enough back in Morgan le Fay's castle. Her cheeks flamed, and she felt miserable. It was hot inside her helmet suddenly, and she dragged it off. Then she remembered too late that she'd forgotten something else when she made her wish. She had wished to be in armor, and to be on horseback, and to be tall and strong, and to win. But she had forgotten to say anything about not being Catherine any longer. Now, as the helmet came away, her long brown hair streamed down onto her shoulders, and her nine-year-old little girl face blinked at the astonished crowd. Those sitting nearest the ringside saw. Sir Mordred tittered. Sir Agravain sneered. The mean knights who were jealous of Sir Launcelot began to laugh, and mingled with the laughter were the cruel words, "'Beaten by a girl!' Some horrid little urchins took up the cry, and made a rude song of it. "'Launcelot's a churl, beaten by a girl!' Sir Launcelot came too, and sat up. He heard the laughter, and he heard the song. He looked at Catherine. Catherine looked away, but not before he had recognized her. He got to his feet. There was silence all round the field. Even the mean knights stopped laughing. Sir Launcelot came over to Catherine. "'Why have you done this to me?' he said. "'I didn't mean to,' said Catherine. She began to cry. With flushed cheeks, but with head held high, Sir Launcelot strode to King Arthur's platform, and knelt in the dust before it. In a low voice he asked leave to go on a far quest, a year's journey away, at least, that he might hide his shame, till by a hundred deeds of valour he would win back his lost honour, and expunge the dread words, beaten by a girl, for ever. King Arthur did not trust himself to speak. He nodded his consent. Queen Guinevere did not even look at Sir Launcelot as he walked away from the field of tournament. Catherine went on crying. Merlin spoke a word in King Arthur's ear. King Arthur nodded. He rose, offered an arm to Guinevere, and led her, led her from the stand. Merlin spoke another word, this time to the attendant knights. They began clearing the people from the field. Most of the people went quietly, but three children in the front row of the grandstand put up quite a fuss, saying that they had to find their sister Catherine, who'd done something terrible, but a sister was a sister, and they'd stick up for her anyway. The knights cleared them away with the rest. Presently, after what seemed like at least a year, Catherine found herself alone before Merlin. She was still crying. Merlin looked at her sternly. "'Fie on your weeping,' he said. "'I wot well that ye be a false enchantress. "'Come here in this guise to defeat our champion "'and discredit our table round.' "'I'm not. I didn't,' said Catherine. "'Ye be, too,' said Merlin. "'And you certainly have. "'After today our name is Mud in Camelot.' "'Oh, oh!' wept Catherine. "'Silent, sorceress,' said Merlin. "'He waved his wand at her. "'I command that you appear before me in your true form.' "'Immediately Catherine wasn't tall or strong or in armor any more, 
but just Catherine. Merlin looked surprised. "'These fiends begin early,' he said. "'However, doubtless ye be but the instrument of a greater power.' He waved his wand again. "'I command that your allies, cohorts, aides, accomplices, and companions be brought hither to stand at your side.' Jane and Mark and Martha appeared beside Catherine, looking nearly as unhappy and uncomfortable as she. Merlin looked really quite startled. Then he shook his head sadly. "'So young,' he said, "'and yet so wicked.' "'We're not,' said Martha, making a rude face. The behaviour of the others was more seemly. "'You see, sir,' began Mark. "'We didn't mean to,' began Jane. "'Let me,' said Catherine. "'I started it.' and in a rush of words and tears she told Merlin everything, beginning with the charm and her wish to travel back in time, and going on to what she had hoped to do, and what she'd done, and where she'd gone wrong. "'I wanted to do a good deed,' she said, "'and I did one when I rescued Launcelot from that old dungeon, but then he wasn't properly grateful at all, and made me undo it, so he could rescue himself, all for the sake of his old honour, and that made me cross.' "'and just now I pretended I was defeating him "'so the other knights wouldn't be so jealous of him, "'but really I was just trying to get back at him "'for being so stuck up, "'and I always wanted to fight in a real tournament anyway.' "'Well, now you have,' said Merlin, "'and what good did you do by it? "'Just made everybody thoroughly unhappy.' "'I know,' said Catherine. "'That's what comes of meddling,' said Merlin. "'There is a pattern to history, "'and when you try to change that pattern, no good may follow.' "'Catherine hung her head. "'However,' went on Merlin, "'and to the surprise of the four children he was smiling now. "'All is not lost. "'I have a few magic tricks of my own, you know. "'Let me see how shall I handle this. "'I could turn time back, I suppose, "'and make it as though this day had never happened, "'but that would take a lot out of me.' "'Really?' said Catherine, in surprise. "'It would be a mere nothing to us.' Merlin looked at her a bit grimly. "'Oh, it would, would it?' he said. "'Oh, yes,' went on Catherine happily. "'I could wish Launcelot were twice as near as here again, "'and then I could wish that he'd defeat me twice, "'and then I could wish that the people would honour him "'twice as much as they ever did, and then I could wish—' "'Hold!' cried Merlin, in alarm. "'A truce to your wishes before you get us in worse trouble. "'I think I had best see this wonderful charm of yours.' "'He made a pass at Catherine with his wand. "'If there be any magic among you, "'let it appear now or forever hold its peace.' "'Catherine's hot hand, which for so long had clutched the charm, "'opened in spite of itself, "'and the charm lay in plain sight on her palm. "'Merlin looked at it. "'His eyes widened.' He swept his tall hat from his head, and bowed low before the charm three times. Then he turned to the children. "'This is a very old and powerful magic,' he said, "'older and more powerful than my own. It is, in fact, too powerful and too dangerous for four children, no matter how well they may intend to have in their keeping. I am afraid I must ask you to surrender it.' He made another pass with his wand. The charm leaped gracefully from Catherine's hand to his own. Mark spoke. "'But it came to us in our own time,' he said, "'and that's a part of history, too, just as much as this is. Maybe we were meant to find it. Maybe there's some good thing we're supposed to do with it. 
There is a pattern to history, and when you try to change that pattern, no good may follow.' Merlin looked at him. "'You are a wise child,' he said. "'Just average,' said Mark modestly. "'Dear me,' said Merlin, "'if that be so, if all children be as sensible as you in this far future time you dwell in—' He broke off. "'What century did you say you come from?' "'We didn't,' said Mark. "'But it's the twentieth. "'The twentieth century,' mused Merlin. "'What a happy age it must be, truly the golden age that we are told is to come.' He stood thinking a moment. Then he smiled. "'Very well. Go back to your twentieth century,' he said, "'and take your magic with you and do your best with it. But first I have something to say.' He held the charm at arm's length, rather as though he feared it might bite him, and addressed it with great respect. "'I wish,' he said, "'that in six minutes it may be as though these children had never appeared here, except that they, and I, will remember, and I further wish that our tournament may begin all over again, and proceed as originally planned by history, only twice as much so,' he added, "'to be on the safe side.' "'Now may I have it back, please?' Catherine asked, when he had done. "'In a minute,' said Merlin. "'By the way, have you been making a lot of wishes lately? "'It feels rather worn out to me. "'It won't last forever, you know.' "'Oh, dear, we were afraid of that,' said Jane. "'How many more do we get?' "'That would be telling,' said Merlin. "'But you'd best not waste too many. "'It might be later than you think.' "'Oh!' cried Martha. "'Maybe we'll never get home.' "'Don't worry,' said Merlin, smiling at her. "'There are still a few wishes left for you, and one more for me.' Again he held the charm out before him. "'And I thirdly wish,' he said, "'for the future protection of the world from the terrible good intentions of these children, and for their protection against their own folly, that this charm may, for twice the length of time that it shall be in their hands, grant no further wishes carrying said children out of their own century and country,' but that they may find whatsoever boon the magic may have in store for them in their own time and place. He put the charm into Catherine's hands. And now you'd best be going, because in less than a minute by my wish, it will be as though you'd never appeared here. And if you aren't home when that happens, goodness knows where you will be. But what about the good deed I wished, said Catherine? None of the ones I tried worked out. "'My child,' said Merlin, and his smile was very kind now, "'you have done your good deed. "'You have brought me word that for as far into time as the twentieth century "'the memory of Arthur and of the round table, which I helped him to create, "'will be living yet, and that in that far age people will still care for the ideal I began, "'enough to come back through time and space to try to be of service to it. "'You have brought me that word, and now I can finish my work in peace,' "'and know that I have done well. "'And if that's not a good deed, I should like to know what is. "'Now good-bye. Wish quickly. You have exactly seventeen seconds.' "'Catherine wished. "'And because their mother and Miss Bick had been worried yesterday "'by their being away so long, she put in that when they got home "'they should only have been gone two minutes by real time. "'This was really quite thoughtful of Catherine.' Perhaps she, too, like Mark the day before, had learned something during her day of adventure. 
The next thing the four children knew, they were sitting together in Catherine and Martha's room, and it was still that morning, and they had only been away from home a minute. Yet that minute was packed with memories. "'Did we dream it?' Catherine asked. "'I don't think so, or we wouldn't all remember it,' said Mark. "'And we all do, don't we?' said Jane. "'And they all did.' "'What did that last mean that Merlin wished on the charm?' Martha wanted to know. "'It means we have to keep our wishes close to home from now on,' Mark told her. "'No more travels to foreign climes,' said Jane, "'and I was all set to take us on a pirate ship next.' "'No more olden times,' said Mark, "'and I've always wanted to see the Battle of Troy.' "'You might not have liked it once you got there,' said Catherine, "'from the depths of her experience.' "'Travelling in olden times is hard.' "'I don't care,' said Martha. "'I don't care if I never travel at all. "'I'm glad to be home. Aren't you?' And they all were. And that's the end of chapter four. Uh, see you next time. <laughs>